First Corinthians will begin reading verse on chapter two, verse six. I'm sorry. Chapter two, verse six. So we'll pick up. We're going to press forward into the wisdom of God that the Corinthians weren't quite ready for, but hopefully we are. I'll read out the New King James Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. God's Word says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Track a little bit because, um, well, we are going to have to because Paul's going to have to because the Corinthians aren't really ready, but he's going to challenge them to strive towards maturity. And we're going to uh, follow along with his challenge to the Corinthians and take it to heart ourselves. Hopefully, if we don't take it to heart ourselves, then we will have to start over with First Corinthians chapter one, verse one in a few weeks and take another running start at it. So let's hope we're ready to. Press on and follow through. Before before we get into our text this morning, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word before us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your spirit within us by which we can grasp its truth. And Lord, as we have already read in this passage this morning, we do need your spirit to lead us into your truth. Help us, Lord, this morning not to be dependent upon our intellect, on our insight or on on our intuition but lord help us to be entirely dependent today upon you that we might lay hold of your word not only again with our mind but all that is entailed when one subordinates our thoughts one's thoughts to that truth and lord our prayers that that might be evident in each life today that your word might take root might lay hold of us. And for all this, we need your help. This is far beyond the capacities of any one man to accomplish, let alone this one. Lord, we pray that you might do your work that only you can do in each one of us, that we might be responsive to your work by faith trusting in you. 
Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Chapter 2. We have just ended a section of Scripture that reminds us of the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of our message, and it, it is the entirety of our message to the world. I was on Facebook last night, and one of my pastor friends, um, and yeah, I do have pastor friends on there. Um, I hope you do too on your site, more than just one. Well, you got me, I hope. But uh, one of my pastor friends was talking about um, uh, something similar to this, and uh, someone got on there and says, well, I know if I go to fundamental churches, all they want to talk about is they want to worship Jesus. And I go to other churches, and they worship God. Um uh, he has just revealed a level of ignorance that is there. And he's, I understand the Christian view of Trinity, but, but I prefer to worship God than Jesus. Um, he hasn't grasped the power of Christ. He is lost. And this is what Corinthians is telling us, is that you don't make that choice. It is not your preference that is laid out here. It is Christ and Christ alone. He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. He is God. And to divorce those two and somehow say we worship God without Jesus Christ, without naming His name and declaring His work in person, um, all of heaven right now is worshiping Jesus Christ. We are joining them. And if you in your mind you don't think you're worshiping God when you're doing that, you don't have a Savior because if Jesus isn't God, you're lost. You don't have anyone to deliver you from your sin. And so we come to this passage and and we have been hammered with it by Paul. There is a singular message for the world and it is they must know Jesus. They must receive Him as Savior and Lord. This is our message to the world. It is all that fills us up when we talk to the world. We do not try to engage them with other aspects of the wisdom of God. There is only one wisdom of God that they must attain to and is the wisdom of Christ. That we must receive His forgiveness and and we receive all of His salvation. That we must respond by faith, trusting in Him and Him alone. And that is our message to you or to anyone in the world who does not receive Christ. That until you get that, everything else that the Scripture speaks to and addresses is just not going to be relevant to you. You are not going to get it. It's just not going to uh, impact you. You might be able to come to some mental awareness of it. We're not talking about information here. It's not that the world is, is incapable of receiving the information of the Bible. We're talking about the wisdom of the Bible, and that's very different. God's wisdom is what we are going to focus in on. And so having laid this foundation in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and entering into chapter 2, that it uh, is... Uh, necessary for us to respond by faith to the work of Christ first and foremost. That if that has not been spoken, if that has not been communicated, if that has not been received, then we cannot press forward. And uh, I find a lot of people in the Christian community uh, and many uh, really in the apologetic movement trying to back their way into people's lives. If I convince them of other truths of the Bible, then we can back them into Christ. And that is not Paul's methodology. It is nowhere spoken of in Scripture that way. Um, And so we are told we have to present Christ. That's who He is. Um, Does that mean there's only one way to do that? No, no. 
But if that isn't the focus, if that isn't the, the power, if that isn't the, the, um, the cutting edge of our, of our engagement with the world, then we are doing them a disservice. We're doing a disservice to the gospel. Now, does that mean, and I've stayed, made this statement over and over again the last couple of weeks, does that mean we are incapable of addressing other issues in society and intellectual issues and, and uh, philosophical issues? No. And this is what Paul gets to in verse 6. He says, listen, it's not all I speak now, because now I have some other wisdom. And he begins right off in verse 6, however... So to the world we speak Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. However, now that we are in a venue where there's supposedly some spiritual maturity, now we can develop those things that we try too much to go to the world with and think that this is evidence that's going to convince them when it's not capable of doing it. It's not, the power of God is Jesus Christ. That's the power of salvation. And so now that we have that dealt with in our life and we have submitted ourselves to Him as, as our Savior, now we can begin, and it is a long, slow road, we can begin to into the area of discovery of the wisdom of God. But I want you to notice that right away we are confronted with a condition. He says, I speak the wisdom of God to whom? To those who are mature. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now, does that mean a brand new Christian? No. The brand new Christian needs to be engaged in the discovery of at least something more than just, I got saved. They need to grasp a little bit more of Christ. They need to be enveloped in it. They need to not just gain the information, more information about the person and work of Christ and, and the and the height, depth, and breadth of their salvation. But it's much more significant than that. They need to mature in that. Certainly the Corinthians knew about salvation. And yet, when we go on farther, he uh, tells us in chapter 3, we're going to get to that in a week or two, um, he says, you're not mature. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. This is a church that had been around for a while. They have been saved for some time. And by some time, I don't mean a few months. Okay? Years. Paul himself was there for three years. And he said, listen, I would love to get into some very powerful wisdom of God with you, but you're not mature enough for it. But what we do discover, sneaking forward to chapter 3, verse 2, is that in the early years of church planting, what did Paul preach? He says, I fed you milk. What needs to be given to bring about maturity is not, I'm going to load you down with Genesis to Revelation. We're going to get your prophecy straightened out. You're going to get your creation science figured out. And we're going to get um, this whole deal with election and predestination figured out. And now you're mature. No. <laughs> I work in the nursery. None of you send your kids with steak and potatoes to the nursery. I think the Brahmins are just about ready to start doing that, but I'm with the left button. No. You send them with milk, bottles of milk, uh, and Cheerios. That's about as much as they get. My nursery anyway. I don't know if 
And I don't really give them a lot to drink either while they're, they're too busy because we're having a great time. But we don't start them off with that. In fact, to do so is not a benefit to them. It's unhealthy for them. You know, you're not going to take Elizabeth and start stuffing, you know, whole carrots uncooked down there. You're not going to do it, right? Are you not doing that, right? Okay, phew. All right, I didn't want to embarrass anybody, but you know, it's unhealthy. You say, well, obviously she can't chew it. She doesn't have the digestive ability to take care of this. I'm not going to give her raw carrots. Well, in the Christian growth, in the Christian walk, it's the same. Paul, for three years, ministered there. He says, I fed you milk. For these early time of just coming to know Christ, and, and, and again, not months, not weeks, years, these early years, what is required of us is to be given milk. That is, um, just not just a rudimentary understanding of of the stories of the Bible, and and that needs to be done. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Um, when we have a uh, engaged people, and we just discover just how ignorant they are of God's word, that they don't know the story of Daniel Lyons Den, that they're not familiar with who Goliath is. They never heard of Goliath. Um, they don't know that David slew him with a sling and a stone. Um, they they aren't familiar with Joseph and and anything that happened around the coat of many colors and and things along that line. Certainly, there is a need for just basic fundamental knowledge of Scripture, but that's not even what we're referring to. Is a, a, a internalizing of Christ. Let me explain. We have often talked about salvation as a process. That is, I come to know Christ is not a singular one day, one hour act. But rather, it is, uh, it is a singular initiation of a process that goes on hopefully the rest of your life. But in those early years as a baby in Christ, um, you're, you're in a, a very intense and very serious process that you are largely a dependent in. But yet you have to engage in that. You have to have some responsiveness to it. But you're largely dependent upon others for. And so in these early years, what is this milk that Paul is giving to him? It is that process of grasping what it is to be a saved person. What am I? Who am I now in Christ? And it is that discovery of what, not just what does salvation require of me, what does Christ want from me, what is, what, what, you know, tell me exactly how to live my life. And, and that's why legalistic style churches uh, do really well, it seems, from the outside with new believers because they give them a list of rules and say, live like this. And they live like that, but the problem is they never mature because they don't understand why. And in the giving of milk of the Word, we are in that process of understanding who am I in Christ? What am I in Christ? What do I have in Christ? And not just, here, here's a list of how Christians live, now go out and do it. That's from the outside in. But the Christian walk needs to be developed. Maturity happens from the inside out. 
I see parents of very small children dressing them up, very adultish, and we look at them and say, isn't that cute? Well, you don't look at that child because they're dressed up like a surgeon and say, "Are you? did you have surgery today? You don't dress them up like a police officer and say, who did you arrest today? No, we understand that 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 maturity has to come from within them and that the external things come with time as the insides mature. And for the Christian walk, it is no different. We mature from the outside and from the inside out. If we try to force that from the externals, um, we can very easily have a shell that appears to everyone around. Oh, they're a strong Christian. And inside, nothing. They don't have the wherewithal to stand against temptation. They don't have the wherewithal to stand against trials and tribulation. They don't have it. They're not growing. Because in their mind, they think, well, I'm wearing the right clothes everyone said I should wear. I'm carrying the right Bible everyone said I should wear. I got the correct haircut. I'm not listening to this music. I'm not smoking, drinking, or chewing, or go with girls that do. I guess I did that wrong. Anyway, it's supposed to rhyme. Um, I got that, and, and, and they mistake that for maturity. And it's not. The milk is necessary those first years. Who am I in Christ? Why is that so important? Because as long as we keep identifying salvation as the single act that I committed back there and I got that checked off my list, it hasn't really impacted me the way God intends it to. And the discovery here in these early years that Paul's been describing, I've preached Christ, I've preached Christ, I've preached Christ. And what is that that preaching Christ means? It means not just you got saved, but now that you're saved, here's what's supposed to happen in your life. God should be glorified. Wrap your head around it. I, it it's not very many words, and they aren't big words. In my life, the Lord should be glorified. Why? Why? Because you're no longer your own. You're His. And so now, it is no longer this thing that I did, but as you mature, it is this grasping that what began to happen back there, and now that as you've gone into the discovery mode of the wisdom of God, of of what it is that Christ really did for us, that we internalize it more and more and suddenly it starts to define us. It is what I am. He is what I am. He is who I am. And then it just naturally comes out and here's what I do because I do these things because it's who I am. It's what I am. And Christianity isn't a room of my house. It is the house. But for most of the Corinthians, and for many Christians that I encounter today, um, of many of a variety of ages, um, in terms of how long they've been saved, Christianity remains a little room in their house. Maybe one seventh, if that. More than likely, about one twenty eighth. It might serve God for one fourth of one day out of the week. Well, they're immature. They're not ready for meat. They need milk. And that milk is, who are you in Christ? What did Christ do for you? How are you glorifying Him in your life? 
And for people to come off with this statement, oh, I know, I know all that salvation stuff. As soon as you make that statement, by the way, young people, as soon as you tell me, I know, I know, I'm going to stop talking to you. This is my new resolution this year when one of my children says, I know, I know. They're the smartest things on the planet. I don't need, they don't need anything from me. When you guys tell me, I know, I know, um, I won't talk to you again. Okay, I won't reference that anymore because you know. Um, but I know, I know reveals an immaturity. Why? I have grasped this material and therefore mental understanding of it or mental awareness of it, knowledge of it, is enough. And it's not. And every mature Christian knows it. That I don't want to be stagnated in I know, I know. I want to be involved in discovery. When I talk to mature Christians, even about the rudimentary aspects of Christ, you know what they say? They don't say, I know, I know. You know what they want us to do? They want to participate. They want to, they want to enlarge. They want to, they want to expand. They want to, they want to decorate. They don't want to say, can we just move on? I got that part. No. We sit there and we go, Wow. Why? Because the mature have made Christ not just one room in their house, not just about this knowledge, but they have brought it in and they said, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I am. This is all I'm about. And when that begins to take hold of us, living it out is a simple thing. I didn't say easy. (laughs) <laughs> there's a difference, right? You understand the difference between simple and easy. It's a simple thing. It's a lot of work. It's daily effort. It's engaging. But but it, it's what I'm after. It is what I long for. It is what I'm thirsting after because it's defining me. I'm no longer defined by the school I went to, by the color of my skin, by the language I speak, by whether I'm bald or not. What, what I'm not. None of those things define me. I define myself as I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of the Lamb. It is what motivates me from the time I get up to the time I get down in bed. And it, it's, it, it, I would prefer to have no other conversations than about it. I would love to engage anyone, anytime, on any level. I'm thrilled to engage the youngest Christian about the rudimentaries, and I am thrilled to take time to sit there and, and squabble over the finest points. Why? Because as we mature in Christ, that knowledge takes hold of us. And it is through spending time in those rudimentaries and gaining those skills with them. I can sit here and teach you how to run a piece of equipment, how to handle a certain tool. And I did this in Haiti. They, you know, power tools, you know, only, only Americans use those. You know, and, and I keep handing them to these Haitians. They look at me. They just couldn't wait to, you know, and their boards were cut like this, and they're all over, and, and I was just sure they were going to lose fingers and toes the way they use power equipment. And But you know what? I instructed them how to do it. I showed them how to do it. And as soon as I handed it to them, they had perfect knowledge and perfect skill, right? No. 
How long does it take to keep using that piece of equipment till you can do it secondhand? You know, you, I've got Larry over there who has been a carpenter for what, longer than I've been alive and um, over there doesn't even mark things. He just, you know, I'm still using a speed square and putting a line because my skill saw ability is at that level still. Um, but he just marks one spot. It's perfectly square, straight cut. No, okay. And do I expect the Haitian to pick that up and do that? No. It takes using it over and over and over and over and over again to develop that kind of skill. And so the Haitian, I can sit there and say, well, you need to do this and this and this, and he has now the knowledge, and, I can, and, and he can make the one cut, and I can say, no, you need to do this, and his answer, I know, I know, I know. Fine, cut your fingers off. Don't want any more. No, they sit there and they listen. They say, okay, here's what you did wrong, and here's what you didn't quite get right, here's what you need to be reminded of, and, and try it again, and keep cutting it, and we wasted a few boards that way, but they needed to learn. I'm leaving these tools behind. I don't want them to sit there and collect dust because they're afraid to touch them. And yet, for many Christians, your Christian life is collecting dust. You're not developing the skill of the Christian walk. Because we have this attitude that we know all the necessary information and therefore I want to go on. You can't go on until you have developed the skill. And that requires you to go back to those basic elements over and over and over again. Not in your mind, but in your heart. And Paul describes, you know, once you're mature, I can get into the wisdom of God. There is a lot more back there. But you know what? Um, That is coming when you're mature, not to make you mature. What makes us mature? This gradual process of milk to meat. And Paul says, listen, for three years I gave you milk. It should have matured you enough. It should have given you a a good handle, a development of the process and of the work of, of your salvation, of really making it who you are, making it define you. And, and you should have been ready then to move on, but you aren't. Why? Because they weren't doing it. They weren't bringing Christ into their life. They were given the milk and they, instead of receiving it as such, you could almost hear the Corinthians telling Paul, oh, we know, we know, we know, then why don't you live it? And that's essentially what Paul's asking. Why don't you live it? If you know, you know, you know, then this sin shouldn't be in your midst. You shouldn't be glorying in this. There shouldn't be this this uh, division. There should not be this problem or that problem. There shouldn't be an issue in this area or that area. If you know, but you see, it's not I know that's enough, but it's about maturing in the wisdom of who Christ is. So Paul says, once you mature, we can move on. And it's not that there isn't any other wisdom. It's that you're not ready for it. But I do speak wisdom. But he wants us to understand where that wisdom comes from. It's not something that Paul has in a secret little library somewhere um, or that he has logged in his intelligence that other people can't access. He identifies the source of that wisdom. He says that wisdom isn't from the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. It's the wisdom of God. It comes in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory. And what a fascinating statement for him to make. 
We just got done talking about the maturation process that we begin with Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. Not just to know the stories. Oh, I've read all four of the Gospels. Well, good for you. I've read them thousands of times and I still read them. Why? Because there's power there that I, as a believer, still need to engage in and still need in order to grow for myself. Is there more? Yes. But it's not more away from Christ. It's more in Christ. There's more to it. There's more to Him. And there's more that it can reach into me with. But I want you to know, the first part, glorify God. Bring glory to the Lord. Bring glory to the Lord. Bring glory to the Lord. And now, we have this fascinating statement by Paul that's saying, listen, the wisdom of God for the mature brings you glory. What? Brings me glory? The Christian life is about being glorified? Kind of. Let me put it like this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That truth alone needs to be meditated on, studied on, developed, worked on, handled, tried out, put in practice repeatedly, day after day. And I would consider that one of the primary things of evidence of maturity. When we begin to let that soak into us and become who we are. I'm going to wait for God lift me up. My task is to humble myself. The world, does the world's wisdom tell you that? Does the wisdom of men tell you that? Oh no, the wisdom of men is the exact opposite. Got to push for yourself. And, and I got to tell you right now, um, I am really struggling with my Facebook because I just want to scream certain things and uh, someone wrote on there that uh, they broke up and with somebody and and so they've decided that they're going to fall in love with someone that won't disappoint them, so they've decided to fall in love with themselves okay I can't even begin to tell you where that uh, how I would love to respond to that but, but I just crushed the poor person um, but maybe they need to be crushed um, God's Word calls us to humble ourselves. Does that sound I need to fall in love with myself a little bit more. This is the lie of the devil that is the end times lie that Timothy is told of by Paul. This is the lie. If only you'd love yourself more, you'd be happier. Wrong. If only you would humble yourself more, you would be extraordinarily content and thrilled. This isn't the message of our society, and that's nothing new. That's been going on for a long time. What's new is that it is now the message of the church. And that's what Paul basically told Timothy. When you see the church propagating this message, know that it is the end times. And the church has not propagated that message until these last days. 
For you see, the church has grasped the, fact, the fundamental truth that we need to humble ourselves. And then God exalts us. And here Paul says, listen, the mature who um, are able to be spoken wisdom to, the wisdom of God, they, they get it as a mystery. They get it hidden. But look what God designed it for. God designed it to glorify us in His Son. That as we abase ourselves in Him, He will lift us up. And the design of the wisdom of God is not to humiliate us, but rather to glorify us. That we might be like Christ in His presence. Think about that. Alright, let's go back to the rudimentaries. We keep talking about the basics. Get the basics. Here we go. Let's go back to the basics. What is required of us in response to the information that Jesus Christ died on the cross and you're a dirty, rotten sinner? Well, the requirement is I need to repent. Trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. That's the requirement. I need to humble myself before God. I need to get on my knees and say, God, I'm a dirty, rotten, lousy sinner. I deserve death and destruction. I deserve your judgment. I deserve any punishment you can uh, give out. And there's nothing I can do to prevent it. There's nothing I can do to earn anything other than that. And Lord, I beg your mercy upon me. That's called humbling yourself. What does God do? I forgive you. You're my slave now. He says, I forgive you. You are my son now. Wow. So even at the beginning, you humble yourself, you're exalted. By God, not by yourself. And don't walk around and say, I'm a child of the king. Can't talk to me that way. I'm Jesus' brother. You know, I'm God's child. And I've seen a lot of that. And by the way, the mishmash that's out there just physically ill. Sometimes I'm sitting in front of my computer listening to it. You're a child of God and He doesn't make junk. There's no need to exalt ourselves. There's every requirement to humble ourselves. God will do the exalting. And He's really good at it. A lot better than the cycle babble that's out there. Humble yourselves, brethren. You say, well, that's basic. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, I won't talk about it anymore. Get the impression? As long as we say, I know, I've heard that, Pastor, you've said that a thousand times. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Do it. Work at it. Exercise it. Develop the skill of it so that it becomes a natural thing. Oh, that we would have the testimony of Moses, the humblest man on earth. That that would be something I'm going to work. And by the way, humility is does not come naturally to any of you. I've known you all. It doesn't come naturally to any of you. It takes work, effort. It's a simple thing, not easy thing. So work at it. Develop it. Like any other skill, it needs constant attention to improve. We humble ourselves. God exalts us. Wonderful statement. God has designed His wisdom 
to glorify us. Its requirement of us is to glorify Him. That when we humble ourselves and seek to bring Him glory, that one of the wonders of the wisdom of God is that it ends up that, not that we're glorified more than Him, but that we are the greater benefactors. God isn't benefited by our glorifying of Him, but we certainly are benefited by Him glorifying us. That is, God doesn't need you. You are in desperate need of Him. Keep that in mind. This is the milk that we need to be in, have invested in us and not just to say, I know, I know. Why does He keep doing, talking about that? Because it's the basics. And if we lose track of the basics, we're lost. We will stagnate. We'll grow cold in our hearts towards our loving God. We will fall to temptation. We will waver in tribulation. And so, we seek maturity by feasting on milk and not spitting it out over and over again until one day, suddenly, we have these instruments called teeth. And we have these little fingers that we're able now to manipulate food with. We figure out how to use our tongue other than just to drool with. And we start eating smashed up food. And then a little more solid and a little more solid. Paul says, yes, when you're mature, we have a wisdom for you. It's not ours and it's the opposite of the world. And it's not going to be that much different than the basics. It's just going to impact you because you've responded to the basics, you made the basics define you. When the basics of the Christian walk define us, now we can say, I'm ready. I am somewhat mature enough for some solid food. Because the basics are who I am. They aren't something that's foreign to me, but rather that they are, they are, they are a part of me. That I'm not bored with them. Ever. I am thrilled by them. Because I understand. And I've, and I've submitted myself, subordinated myself to it. And it is the definition of me. So God has ordained that this be for our glory. This wisdom of His. This is what He has determined ahead of time is that if we submit to Jesus Christ, if we mature in that, that He will always respond to that by lifting us up higher and higher. He has now repeatedly said, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we come to this statement here, both in verse 6 and verse 8. Um, it's also going to come in verse 9. It's going to keep coming back up. Uh, and when you have repeated concept for a, in a passage of Scripture that keeps coming up, it's something worth paying a little attention to. And so when you're reading God's Word, when you see a concept that is repeated over and over and over again, it is something that we must 
uh, focus on. And this is a negative statement that keeps coming over and over. It says, not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, in verse 6. Uh, we come to verse 7. None of the rulers of this age knew it, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It has not, and nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Uh, we have this statement over and over again. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. We have these negatives that are given to us throughout this passage that should that are warnings for us. That's frankly that's what they are. They're warnings, and it's a two-edged warning. It's not just a warning to say, watch out for those people because they don't get it. And that is certainly one aspect of this. Watch out for those people who have not submitted themselves to Christ because they don't get it. They won't get it. They didn't get it. And they ha- watch out for them. They crucified our Lord. Um, don't think them that you're there, your friend. Don't think that they're an ally of the work of God in your life. They are not. They are the enemies of God, and therefore they are the enemies of your Christian life. Watch out for those guys who claim to have wisdom, who are of this age, who are worldly oriented, who think that if you can build up wealth here, that somehow that's, that that's getting set for life, that in that condition you are blessed. No, they're fools. The wisdom is, blessed are the poor in spirit. By the way, poor in spirit means you have humbled yourself and your spirit to God. In that condition, you are blessed. You are set for life. So yeah, we'll warn you. Watch out. Um, They are not your allies. They are not looking out for your best interests. They are not concerned for your uh, for eternity's values. They don't have any of those uh, in, in their scope at all. They, they are of this world. They cannot even grasp what God has for them or for you. Um, they do not understand the rudimentary things of God, let alone the deep things of God. They are natural men. They are brutes. That's how Paul describes them in Romans. And it is now time for us to stop looking to the world with favor or with neutrality. We must view them for what they are. They are the enemies of God who want to take you off the path that God wants you on. They are there to derail you. They are there to unscrew the lug nuts and pull the wheels off. That's what they want. They are not neutral. They are not allies. And you need to be forewarned that they do not have the wisdom of God even in their very basics. Grasp that. And when we talk about living a separatist lifestyle, obviously Jesus Christ says you can't leave the world. You've got to be in the world, but that doesn't mean you have to be of them. Recognize that. Be warned of that. And so in your relationships with those guys, those, we are wary that's what it means to be warned. We have been warned and we live warnedly. Be wary. We are not going to make them our most intimate relationships. We are not going to invest in them with our complete trust. We are just not going to do that. We cannot do that. We're not going to buy into their offer because their offer is counter Christ. 
That's one edge of this warning. There's another edge to this warning, though. It's a little closer to home. And that's warning about you. Um, You can't trust your intuition. Your natural man. And this is what he keeps bringing out here with this whole uh, contrast between the natural and the spiritual. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, it says in verse 14. Nor, this is an important word, can he know them. Our natural uh, intuition is always going to lead us away from biblical truth. And so the second warning, first warning, watch out for them outside of Christ because they are not your ally. They are not neutral. They are antagonistic to the wisdom of God. Second warning is watch out for yourself. That you are not relying upon your own instinct, your own belief system. It's worked for me. Your own experience, your own thoughts. Paul says, I beat my body into subjection. He says, I want to make every thought, every, every, every inkling of my mind, I want to bring into subjection to the Word of God. I need to take every experience that I have and interpret it by the Word of God through that lens. I can't trust me. I cannot trust how I feel about things. And we've been on Tuesday night working with the young people on courtship and marriage and over and over again they're going to keep hearing this. You cannot trust your feelings for people. Oh, I love him. No, you don't. You have no concept of of it because you think it's a feeling because it leaves you little butterflies in your stomach. That's called like. We don't trust our feelings. I don't trust my own logic. I have to interpret it and evaluate it and filter it and filter it again through God's Word. And this is the secondary warning of this, that we go to God and we have to be dependent. And I know that's un-American, but it's not unchristian. Okay, And right there should tell you something, okay? Here's a very American concept that isn't Christian at all. Independence. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to guide us into God's truth. That kind of dependency requires you to have gotten a lot of milk in your life and submitted to it and let it define you. And now you can start to lean upon the Spirit more and more because you are walking in the Spirit a little more and more. Why? Because not you just spit out the milk and said, I already had some of that. I know what that's like. I want something new. Rather, we consume it and consume it and consume it and we get stronger and stronger. Now we're walking in the Spirit and we're dependent upon Him and He illuminates us to His Word and we walk around and we don't even have to have rehearsed statements. We can just walk around and the Bible says, don't. Fret. Don't worry about what you're going to answer a man. The Spirit will guide you into the right truth at the right time. I say, I haven't really ever experienced that, Pastor. Well, start swallowing down some milk instead of spitting it out. Get mature. Rehearse the basics. Submit yourself to them. Bring them into your life. 
practice the skills of the early Christian life over and over and over again. And this capacity will increase. God has promised it. Any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men freely. But you see, we don't ask of God. Why? Because we're pretty sure I'm smart enough by myself. So I don't ask. Because I'm smart enough. And so I open my Bible and read it without praying first because I'm smart enough to understand it without God's help. You hear me every Sunday stand up here before I preach and say, oh, God, help me. It comes out in different words, but essentially in my heart, that's all I'm saying. God, help me. I'm not up to the task. I'm not smart enough. And so we rely upon the Holy Spirit and that word reliance, that dependence upon the Holy Spirit is this whole act of us humbling ourselves to Him and recognizing that not only do I not need to take any cues from the world on how to live my life, but I also need to be wary about myself. That I need to be guarded against following my feelings, following my belief systems, following my philosophies of life because they may not be entirely subordinated, entirely defined by God's Word yet, and so I need to be very careful with them. And when someone comes to me on Facebook and quotes a scripture, I say, oh, Bible thumper, I know that. Well, you didn't show it in your posting, so you obviously don't know it. You might have some intellectual understanding of it, but you haven't warned yourself against that kind of arrogance. Because I don't need you to tell me that. Oh, yes, you do. Your behavior shows it. Can you imagine the Corinthians? We know all this, Paul. Why are you telling us? We know Christ. They claimed it, folks. They were the I know, I know group. They were. He's going to... Call him on the carpet for it over here. In fact, that's what chapter 3 is going to be all about. You're still carnal. You keep saying you know this and you know that. We're mature. We're, we're so, we understand our Christian liberty so much that we tolerate all this sin. <laughs> you know? You claim a knowledge of God and yet you tolerate sin? You don't know. And so, this two-edged warning. The world doesn't get it. They can't get it because they're just of, the, of this world. They're just natural. They cannot grasp the Spirit. And brethren, we are, or were, of them. Um, and, and so we don't fundamentally trust our experience. We don't trust our intuition. We don't trust our philosophies. We don't trust our belief systems that, that we have devised within our culture. We've got to recognize that, that the world has influenced us in our thinking much more than God's Word has. Let me say that again. The world has influenced your thinking and belief system much more than God's Word has. Why? Because you spend a whole lot more time in the world listening to their philosophies than you do reading God's Word. I guarantee it. We congratulate ourselves when we take 15 minutes in the morning reading God's Word. 
when we should be congratulating ourselves that I only spent 15 minutes this day watching or listening to any of the world's media. That's what we should be congratulating ourselves. Only spent 15 minutes today on any media. Instead of, hey, I spent 15 minutes in God's Word today. Aren't you impressed? No! You spent 17 hours of it in the media of the world. What do you think is influencing us? So we are looking for the wisdom of God. We have this warning. Watch out for them. Sure, they don't get it. <laughs> don't take your cues from them. Don't take your your uh, don't take your knowledge from them. Don't take your uh, philosophy from them. They don't get it. They can't get it. They won't get it. And everything about their miserable, sorry lives proves that they don't got it. Secondly, watch out. Because to get the wisdom of God requires complete, utter dependence upon the Spirit of God and not the Spirit of your man. Watch out for yourself. Oh, Pastor, I feel this is right. And I've heard people tell me that and I go right into sin. I said, I don't care how you feel. It's wrong. Oh, Pastor, I believe that I don't care what you believe. I care what the Bible says. It's true. Your belief systems are marred, flawed, fundamentally. But I saw this happen. Doesn't make it the pattern for your life. Doesn't make it true. Doesn't make it trustworthy. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it excellent. God has a better design. It requires our maturity. That maturity requires that we drink our milk first. And that milk is Jesus. Well, we long and not be bored with it or impatient with it, but rather that we would anticipate that over and again. In my house, we go through eight gallons of milk, think about that, a week. There's only seven days in a week. Still love the milk. It's still beneficial. Does that mean that that's all we get? No. My house is pretty much all mature people. Well, at least physically. Um, <laughs> uh, we should have a longing and a love for this basic knowledge and discovery of Jesus Christ. Don't let it ever be lost in your life. For as soon as you lose that, you cannot ever claim maturity. Because I owe everything to Christ. And therefore, I cannot cease to rejoice and to contemplate and to think on and to discuss this one who defines who I am, what I am, 
and therefore dictates what I do and how I think.